0: The Bible has and continues to change lives um, all over the world when it's heard and believed. So let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Lord Father, thank you for your precious words to us. Help us to clear our minds of other things and to focus on your word and your message to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kerry.
1: of David, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil.
0: When Chris asked me to speak he said I could either speak on revelation or on a psalm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm speaking on Psalm 37. Um, Me speaking on revelation would be no revelation at all, let me tell you. (laughs) My thoughts went to a passage when he said that, of psalms that's been a really powerful part of my Christian journey, and that first part of Psalm 37 that we just had read, and particularly the idea in verse seven of waiting patiently for God. And this idea, actually, of waiting for the Lord is actually infused throughout Scripture. It's actually a command all the way through. Here's a few verses. We have just read this one in Psalm 37, that we should be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Oh, okay, that one didn't get in there. All right, and wait patiently for him, that's fine. Um, Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Lamentations. Have I done this in strangely or something? That, no? Like, all right, that's okay. I'll just read these out. That's fine. In Lamentations, trust me, if you want to look it up, you can. Although by the time you found Lamentations, I would have moved on to something like Micah, which you also won't be able to find. <laughs> Lamentations, it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Micah. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Isaiah 64.4, from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Isaiah, you'll know well. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In Romans we're told if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This concept of waiting on the Lord is throughout scripture. So I decided that that's what I would speak on this particular passage from Psalm and the idea of waiting on the Lord, the more though I explored this concept, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, we're gonna be going hard and fast through a whole series of thoughts because I realize I've only got one message, Um, so I'm gonna have to touch on a whole lot of ideas. Um, Take them where you will, Um, leave those that don't matter to you or aren't relevant at the moment because the problem is, that these thoughts apply to different people in different situations, because in all sorts of ways we're waiting, but we're waiting in different ways. Some of us are waiting for something to change. Some of us are waiting for something to end. Some of us are waiting for something to start. Some of us might have just ended a season of waiting and that waiting's over. Um, others of us um, might feel like we're just sick of waiting any longer, and that might be our experience of waiting, so we're all in different places. Thus, I'm gonna have to Throw all these thoughts out there and see what you can make of them. Let's just pray though first because we desperately need that. Lord. We come before you and we see in your word this instruction to wait on you. Help us, Lord, to understand it, to apply it each to our own circumstances today. Whether we are waiting for something to end or to begin or to change or whether we are almost done with waiting or whether we've just had a season of waiting, Lord, help us to reflect on these thoughts on your word and may it powerfully influence who we are in you. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For a structure, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at what it is to wait on the Lord, uh, the promises, uh, sorry, the problems with waiting on the Lord, the promises of waiting on the Lord, and the power to do it. What is it to wait on the Lord? Um, I realize that's very small, and some of you can't read it, but that's okay. It's actually the bolded sections that we're going to be referring to in a minute. However, I want to say this first. To unpack some of the elements of what I'm going to be sharing about this morning, I want to share a little bit of my own testimony, not to elevate myself, the reality is that I'm actually all too imperfect, um, but actually to share what God did. So in me sharing what I'm sharing, I'm not sharing about me, but I'm sharing about what God did in a circumstance, about what he taught me about waiting in a really long-term challenging situation. And I think sometimes testimonies help put flesh on the bones of a concept like waiting on the Lord. So to, quickly. In a range of contexts, I've actually shared some of my story with some of you, um, and this particular part of my story occurred in a decade of my life from when I was about 25 to about 35. Um, Very briefly and without going into any details, I was married when I was 23. I had a son when I was 25. Some of you might have met him. He's Matthew. He's hard to miss at the moment, so when he's here, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's great, he's got this amazing personality. Anyway, we won't go into that. Um, at about the time that my son was born, my wife started having an affair with the guy who was actually the best man in my wedding. Now, the affair actually went on for three years, hidden, in a hidden situation. Um, I suspected something was happening, um, but I couldn't nail it down, and that also is a very, very long story and how it all emerged, etc. but that's not the subject of today. When I was about 28, um, after, three years after this had been happening, one January afternoon, the awful truth came out. Now, anyone who's had that kind of news, and it can happen in all sorts of varieties that you get news of that kind of severity, will know that for the first day or so, you're kind of in this crazily surreal world as though you're observing your own life from a distance for a while. But over the next few weeks, as I prayed about what to do in this situation, because like, what am I gonna do? in this circumstance. It became obvious through scripture and through songs and through devotions, this constant message kept coming from God. I was to wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. I I suspected fairly quickly what that meant. It meant that he was working on something and I was going to have to be patient and let that play out. I also knew that it meant for me that I was to not seek a divorce, that I was to keep true to my wedding vows in every way. And I had to still treat my wife as though she were my wife, even though she'd moved out and she was living basically with this other person. And then I had to just wait till God did what he needed to do. In a way, it was a state of being actively passive or passively active, and I'll get into that in a minute. Now, Can I just say, by the way, that I am not saying for any moment that if anyone's in a similar circumstance to this, that God would call you to the same thing. In fact, here's the great challenge of this message about waiting on the Lord, that God will require different things of us in what seem to be quite similar circumstances, and actually understanding what it is that he's calling us to do is part of the challenge of waiting on him, and I will address that a little bit later. When I realized what God was asking me to do, to wait, I very clearly remember I'm praying and telling him I'd be able to do it. I'd be able to wait for three years. I, I, I kind of figured you could earn a bachelor's degree in three years, and also Jesus had a ministry that lasted three years. I thought three years sounds like a fairly reasonable amount of time. So I said to him, "That's what we'll be doing: three years." So I waited. At times it was really hard. Um, At first I was actually sustained by the thought that I was waiting for the marriage to be restored. What a testimony this was gonna be. This is what I thought was gonna happen. There would be books and there would be speaking engagements and there was gonna be this amazing worldwide marriage ministry that would evolve. That's what I thought was gonna happen out of it because why else would God be asking me to wait except he was gonna do this amazing thing. But as those three years unfolded, nothing seemed to be changing. God absolutely sustained me. I had some incredible experiences of feeling really down and oppressed at times. Every single, I promise this is true, every single time I would dedicate time to spending with him. Within minutes of starting, he would flood me with the most incredible joy. Every time. Um, It was an amazing experience that lasted year after year after year. But in the midst of this, nothing about the relationship was changing. Um, and the other relationship with this other guy was still happening. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened at the three year point a little later in the message, because we need to stop and think for a minute about what it is to wait on the Lord. Let's go back to Psalm 37 and think about that. Um, in some ways, waiting on the Lord's inactive. David's subject in Psalm 37, and if you read all 40 verses, and there's no way I could, I can't even explore these verses in the amount of time I'm going to have, but all 40 verses, what David is doing is saying this. Human beings often choose to cross the line and to do what is evil, to cut corners in order to get what they want. He says, in contrast to that, we should be a people who wait on God Trust in Him rather than trusting in ourselves and grasping at what we can get and letting our sinful desires be what helps us acquire the thing that we want. But we're not to act in that way. In fact, if you have a look at the, just if you can just read those words I've underlined, I appreciate it might be a bit hard to read, but we are told to not fret, to be still, to wait patiently, not. Do You can see lots of not-dos through there. We are to refrain from anger. That kind of language, not, steal, wait, not, refrain, is all about the language of the traditional meaning of waiting, to cease from action, to stop, to pause, to hold off, that kind of waiting, the traditional meaning of to wait. So waiting on the Lord means to not manipulate situations to our advantage for a quick fix. We may have to wait for something in our career rather than pushing ourselves, ourselves ahead at the cost of others, for example. We may have to remain single um, rather than choosing the quick fix of getting involved romantically with a non-Christian. I didn't know how to word that because I'm not trying to say, yeah, some of you might be able to make the quick fix of getting married, involved with a non-Christian. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that if you had, you'd have to remain single if God didn't bring that other option. I was in that state for quite a while. But yeah, anyway, you may have to be satisfied with a lesser income rather than getting involved with get-rich-quick schemes. This is what waiting means in this context. We may have to dig in and bear a difficult situation instead of shrugging it off because we have human ways of shrugging off difficulty. We may have to wait and allow that difficulty still to remain that. Waiting on the Lord means we don't allow the human instincts like anger or fretting or lust or greed to govern our choices. For me, in the context I was in, that meant not lashing out. And every now and then when I did, because as I said, I wasn't perfect. There were times when I did get quite agitated and angry. It, I got, God would come and challenge me. I had to go back and ask for forgiveness. And that meant for the guy as well in that situation, because I had some situations where I conflicted with him and I had to go back and apologize afterwards. I really felt the stirring of the Spirit to do that because I was to not lash out. Um, I wasn't to rush out and grasp at whatever I could. I wasn't to give in to sin. And this was in particularly, I can say all the children have gone out, haven't it? This is in the, particularly in the sexual area. You've been married, and so that's been a part of your life. And then you can make this excuse that it's like, oh, well, I'm in this situation now, so I should be able to do that. But actually, no, waiting is to say no to that because there's no excuse for it. There's no justification for doing the thing that God's calling us not to do. For me, it meant waiting on God to bring things to pass rather than me forcing things. So in a way, waiting on the Lord's passive. But it's also incredibly active. If we have a look at the other passages in this particular bit of scripture, we see a lot of active verbs. I'll give you a bit of English as well, active verbs. (laughs) And we're told to trust in the Lord, do good, take delight, dwell in the land, commit your way, again, trust in him. These are active, we're meant to be active in this way, and Moz brought those things out when she shared in the kids' talk this morning. So let's just run through a couple of these things very, very quickly. Um, This is really actually a part of our Christian walk, whether we're waiting or not, to be honest. Trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land. I took that to mean when I read this scripture that we need to live and work and make do with what God has given you in the moment. You can get so f- focused on the issue that you're dealing with to be waiting on. Except there's all these other things as well in life, all this other richness that God's calling you to dwell in and to be a part of and to do good in. So. For me, dwelling in the land meant that I had to live as though I was married. I had to live according to those vows. I had to care for my wife when I could. I had to serve her when I could. But it also meant me getting on with being a dad and doing my work as a teacher, investing in church and developing the relationships I had as well. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land might mean for you in your work environment, although it might be difficult, that you do your best job you can and you wait for a promotion. That's dwelling in the land and doing good. In your relationships, you remain honourable. You build good honest friendships, and you wait for God to bring the right person if you're waiting at the moment for some kind of romantic relationship, or you wait for God to bring you the gift of singleness. That could also be the case. You're waiting. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. That is, be an active participant in the place and context in which God has placed you right now, and let him work in those things as you work in them. The New King James Version of the Bible um, actually interprets the verse, enjoy safe pasture, as feed on his faithfulness feed on his faithfulness what a beautiful thought to feed on his faithfulness I take that to mean you think about the ways in which God has been faithful in your own life the way he's been faithful in scripture look at all the ways in the old testament in which he has been all the ways in the new all the ways in other people's testimonies faithful, and you feed on it, you just you consume it, you nourish yourself on those thoughts. But we're instructed to do that, and it's another active verb, which is why I like that interpretation a little bit better. We're also, in this passage, told to commit our way to the Lord. Now, what I take that to mean is, Moz um, spoke about that idea, I also agree with what Moz has said, and believe it can even go further than that. I believe committing your way to the Lord is to follow the way that He outlines. That is, commit your way to the Lord's way, if that makes sense. Um, In particular, bring your ways, your ways, the way you do things, into alignment with His character. So, He is forgiving. Be forgiving he's kind, be kind, he's patient, be patient, he's sacrificial, be sacrificial, learn his character and make his ways your ways. That is what it is to commit your ways to the Lord, commit your ways to the Lord's way. But of course, it's also that thing of bringing your journey and surrendering it to God and allowing him to work in it. Because look at the other promises, the other suggestions that are in this passage that we should trust in the Lord Now, I don't know about you, but that immediately brings to my mind Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that amazing promise that we should trust in the Lord with all our hearts, lean not on our own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's the other aspect of committing our way to the Lord, as in bring our ways, bring the things that are involved, we're involved in in our life, and trust them to him. It's an active thing. In fact, in Psalm 37, there's also that other verse I'm sure many of you know, that the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And there's a few of you out there who are probably a little singing and a little song in your head. Steps of the good man, I roar it, the Lord Yeah? Think about what these verses are saying because I did at the time when I was committing this thing that was happening to me to the Lord. They're saying this trust in the Lord, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths and make your steps firm so that even when you stumble, when you find it challenging, when you feel weakened, you won't fall. Now, I started to realize as I meditated on this promise that if it is the case that we commit our way to the Lord, then what is happening to us is His path. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will direct your path. So the path you're on is the thing that he's doing. Not you have to wait because he will in the future at some time direct your path, but he is. So what this is, is his will. That is what is happening. And lastly, there's this other amazing command, not lastly in the message, sorry, but lastly in this... (laughs) section of, well, you know, because I went through the structure, we're only on the first point, Um, that we are commanded here to delight ourselves in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, that is not that difficult to do, actually, just look around us today, it's not hard to delight yourself in the Lord in terms of him as a creator, delight yourself in the fact that he's a patient father, that he's the most sacrificial, wise, loving saviour, that he's gracious, just, righteous, terrifying merciful, powerful, gentle, delightful, meditate, let songs, let scripture, let um, uh, devotional thoughts, let messages, let your conversation with others in fellowship, let it all be stirring up that delight that you're taking in the Lord. Um, I'll come back to that in a little while, but what is it to wait on the Lord? Well, we wait because things are not yet fulfilled, not as we want them to be, we wait kind of passively because God's working and we need to let Him work. But we also wait actively in the sense that we trust in Him, delight in Him, dwell in the land, do good, follow His ways, and walk the path that He's set before us. Sounds great, and I could finish there, couldn't I? And probably some of you are thinking, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> but there are some problems with waiting on the Lord, aren't there? And here they are that I think. Here's four. And I think we're in a culture that's opposed to waiting. Um, uh, resist the idea of waiting. You don't have to wait these days to acquire a possession that you might want. You don't have to save up for it. You can have it now and pay for it later. That's how our society operates. If I'm in my office at school and somebody's computer is just, you know, slowly doing something it should be doing quickly, you often hear, oh, come on! In fact, ironically, I was up in the studio of our house working on this message, and every time a spelling error would come up, and I'd click on it to do the correct spelling, a little spinning wheel would come up, and I was going, oh, my goodness! And then, then, well, that's a bit ironic, isn't it? It's like, (laughs) impatience to wait. We hate waiting for even a minute. We think a minute in the microwave's too long, actually, um, and then we realize afterwards it was. And we get (laughs) frustrated when we have to pull into the waiting bay at Macca's, but worse in our society, things like waiting until marriage, until you have sex, uh, this is not even on the radar any longer. If I suggested this at school, to, to the students at school, that you should wait until marriage, until you have sex, they would look at me as though I had just asked them to donate all of their organs to scientific research right at this moment. <laughs> it's just not anywhere in people's thinking. It's like, what, wait? Why would you wait? That's one problem. Problem number two, I think, and probably more complex, is that we tend to have a certain narrative in our heads about how life should be and what our path should look like. And if we're really honest, while for others it might involve difficulty and trial and loss, etc., for us it doesn't. We don't like the idea that our pathway, our journey, might actually involve some of those things that we would consider to be trials. Those are a deviation from our plan, the narrative that's in our head. And a deviation from the plan can actually make us start to think God doesn't care, or that God's not powerful, or he's abandoned us. That can make it hard to wait on the Lord, because it seems like he's really dragging his heels, or actually really he can't be trusted, and we're actually just waiting in vain for something. For me, that happened at that three-year point. Remember, I said, Lord, three years, bachelor's degree, marriage. And I started to lose confidence and become really frustrated. Nothing was changing in the situation. Um, so much to share about this, but I just can't. I ended one weekend, and I was so agitated over this weekend. I went to school, and when I say I was agitated, I wouldn't have prayed because every time I'd pray, God would come in and fill me with joy. So I'd probably got to this stage where I was like, and in my own head and life. I went to school on Monday morning and I shared an office with a colleague, and I got there and I said, you know, Mark, I cannot do this anymore. This is ridiculous. I've waited all this time. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. God's called me to wait. God said all these things to me, promised me all these things about he's gonna turn this around. Nothing's turning around. I just can't do it anymore. I have to give up. I actually said those words. I just feel like giving up. And I turned to my desk, and on my desk was an envelope, and it said, Mr. Butler. And I opened it, and in it was this letter. I've still got it. And one of my students, a year 12 student, had written to me, I'll summarise the letter rather than reading it, but this is what she writes in it. She says, I'm really sorry, Miss Bell, I'm probably wasting your time, and this is really silly, and I don't even know why I'm writing this, all that sort of stuff to start with. And she says, she was a Christian, I was in a Christian school at the time, actually I still am. Um, she went, um, she got home from church, she said normally on a Sunday after church she would go and have a sleep, but on this particular Sunday when she got home she really felt like she needed to pray for me. And so she started praying and these thoughts came to her and she had to write them down and she's written them down here and on this page she says, God sees your pain, he knows what you're going through, he knows the promises he's made to you, do not give up, I just said I need to give up, do not give up, here. I promise, this is the letter that was on my desk. And then she said after that, God led her to open up scripture and find a series of verses, and she's written them down there, the verses that came to her as she did this. And I went and opened my Bible, and every one of the verses that she had been given, I'd already been given. They were already underlined in my Bible. God had already given me those as promises. And he was saying through this letter, I promise I am working on something, keep waiting. I knew that he was calling me to keep waiting. The guy i just shared this with got so excited. He was just he was out of his chair and moving around. They're like, I cannot believe this has just happened. He was saying, we have to go and tell people. We have to take this letter and explain it. Because so, he knew the incredible miracle that had just taken place of God breaking through into my situation and communicating directly and powerfully with me about what was happening in my situation, and I needed to wait. And over the course of those next four years, because it lasted another four years after that, um, things still didn't change, really. There were a number of things that happened in the situation that, again, are irrelevant. But I started to realize that God was calling me to obedient to something that I didn't understand and I didn't need to. I didn't need to understand what the outcome of it was. I just needed to understand that he was calling me to wait on him. I needed to dwell in the land, do good, delight in him without knowing the reason why. Either. I didn't know what the reward was, even if there was a reward. I was just called to wait, and that was the point. Problem number three, I think, is that we wonder whether we should be active or inactive in a situation when we're waiting. You know, would it be right for me at some point to get a divorce, or did I have to go to the grave married to somebody who was in a relationship with somebody else? Was that going to be my reality? Um, it might be in, you know, in a work, do you slog away in the storeroom and never set your sights higher or push for a raise because you're kind of being the passive waiting? Or in a relationship situation, do you wait at home until your brand new girlfriend knocks on the door? Or do you get out there and mingle with the other Christian singles? Like, wh- wh- which do you do? I think that is a problem. When do you remain passive? When do you become active, so to speak? Problem four I, as I was preparing this, I realised the more challenging the circumstances that people face, the harder it is to wait. In fact, it might all sound very easy and upbeat and la wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, but actually if you're facing really difficult circumstances, it can actually start sounding really offensive almost to share these kinds of thoughts from the pulpit and I acknowledge that, although I will say that I did have a difficult situation and I'm not saying, ah, oh, so you should be okay as well, I'm just saying that it does happen, it works in difficult situations. But the other point is, you know, if the thoughts I'm sharing are true, they're true. If scripture's right about this, scripture's right about this. And we're about to look at the last two aspects of this message um, and that is the answer to these things. First of all, we're going to look very briefly at the promises of waiting on the Lord and then at the power to wait on the Lord, the promises, wow. Wow, wow. I don't know if you paid attention to the verses that I put up there at the beginning, but all of those waiting on the Lord's come with a promise. And if you think about a promise for a minute, do you know what God has done by putting a promise in Scripture? He's committed himself to it. He has documented the promise and said, hold me to this. What's even more amazing is that when we fail, when we stumble and fall, we get to come and confess our sin and become righteous in him, and it kind of undoes the problems that we might create in him fulfilling the promise. He actually does that work as well. So the promises that we have, when we look back at them, the ones I mentioned before, um, are promises like this. Um, just a slide before, I think, maybe, Duncan? No? Okay, doesn't matter. Just ignore this then for a minute. Um, Here are some of the promises God gave in those other passages. God is good to those who wait on him. He will hear us. If you remember back to those messages. Oh, yes, there they are. He acts for those who wait on him, and they will rise up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. They're his promises. That makes waiting on the Lord possible because you can rest assured in the strength that he will give. As I said, for me, that was every time I'd pray and do the delighting in the Lord and feeding on his faithfulness. I'd be lifted out of that state. In Psalm 37, there are some promises here, and there are many more in the Bible about waiting. Go and look them up. Verse 6 says, He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. In other words, he will vindicate you in times of injustice. He will reward your choice to do what is righteous. That is his promise. And frankly, the reward that we get from God is so much more than the reward we get from grasping at things for ourselves. And you know, this solves problem number one, if you think about it. The promise of what God will do when we wait on him solves problem number one, because our culture doesn't like waiting because it sees this world as all there is. And if we're falling into the trap of impatience and getting anguished and annoyed about our circumstances and our journey, we may be falling into the trap of actually living as though this world is all there is. So if you live as though this world is all there is, then, well, you need to grasp at financial means in whatever way you can, because money in this world is all you're going to get. That's the money you get. You don't wait until marriage for sex because you want the pleasure now, because the pleasure now is all there is, etc. So we problem one is solved by the fact we believe in a God who's active in our circumstances as well. We're not just waiting on the sort of things that the world is waiting on. Moving on to the other promise that's in this passage, I love verse four some of you might know this one, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, when I was a first a Christian and I came across this promise, I was pretty excited because I read it to me, whatever I want, God will give me, I just need to delight in him. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Woo-hoo. Um, as I've experienced more and more of God, I have realized that it can also mean he will put the desires in your heart. As in, your desires will be for the things that he desires. And another way to put it, he will, uh, the desires that are in your heart are the ones that he has put there. God will give you the desires of your heart. Does that make sense? It's another way of reading the passage. And actually, it's the truer thing that happens. Um, and... It might sound a bit airy fairy that God puts these desires in our hearts, and somehow they kind of those desires that He puts there squashes out the other desires. Except you probably know the song "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus," and there's a line in there that says, um, "It's gone." The, the, the things of yeah, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The the, the things of earth look forward, full on His wonderful face. That's the one, yeah. And the things of earth will go strangely dim, yeah. And the thing is, when you sing that, you kind of know what it means, yes. because there are times, I'm sure, when you've come to church and your experience is actually, you're thinking about something earthly, an earthly desire. The things that we think when we're, you're a young Christian, and you think, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. woo let me see what my desires are, I'm going to get those things. But when you come to a place where actually you bring these earthly desires, say, to church, you know, some of you might be thinking about your mortgage. If you weren't, you are now. Um, (laughs) You might be thinking about some frustration that's um, pounding at your life, a work responsibility you have, or the fact that you forgot to put the pork on before you came, and what's gonna happen now to be three o'clock lunch. Um, And then you start engaging in worship, or reflecting on the word of God, or fellowshipping with others. And as you do, those other desires seem to fade away. They even start to seem really petty, in contrast to him. Because he, when he is your desire, that's the thing you start to delight in. Can you see? He will give you the desires of your heart when you delight in him. Delight in him, and you will see a change in your desires. This helps with problem number two. Remember, the problem number two was the narrative. We have a narrative in our heads, and when it doesn't sort of play out the way we think it's going to play out or should play out, we start to doubt God. God. But actually when we delight ourselves in the Lord, our, our desires can be reordered. And then when they are reordered, we start to realize the thing we think we want. The thing we think we've lost or the thing we think is a trial or the thing we think needs to be solved because it's a difficulty actually starts to fade into the background. It goes to the background and he comes to the foreground. And that's what delighting yourself in the Lord does. And it kind of deals with that second problem. I did want to talk about problem three, which is the when do you act, when do you not act? But I actually think there's a whole message here, and I can quickly say it. I think as you spend time with God, you start to know his character. As you know his word, you begin to know the main motivational concepts of how you should be living. And the fact is, if you're in a situation and you feel that you've got a freedom to do something, do it, trust it to God and do it. If you've got a freedom that after you know scripture, there's a whole message in this, sorry. I'm just gonna to have to skip over it, um, and others will all be here forever. Last point, oh, music to ears. Um, the power to wait on the Lord. Where does this come from? Well, actually, I think the power to wait on the Lord is in something that we actually no longer have to wait for. Do you know, we're all here and there's something we, none of us, have to wait for, that millions upon millions of people for generation after generation after generation did have to wait for and had no idea, and it's that, the mystery of the fact that we are saved in Christ. Paul writes about it. Do you know, you read the whole Old Testament, what is it? It's people waiting for thousands of years. With this message of promise that's to come of a Messiah that they had no idea about. And now we look at the actual revelation of this and look back at the Old Testament and think, ha ha, see, we know. We know, we see what that was all about. But we don't have to wait for that any longer. What an amazing reality that is. I think it gives us the power to wait. And you might think, how? How is it that we don't have to wait for that? How does that give us the power to wait? Well, I think it's this. In that revelation, in the historical fact of Jesus living, and he did, and dying, and he did, and rising again, and he did, and there is so much historical evidence to prove that that's the case, and I can't go into that either, another whole message, actually probably a series there in that fact is the irrefutable evidence, the irrefutable evidence of God's nature. And the thing we don't have to wait for is the irrefutable evidence of God's nature. He is long-suffering. He embraces our pain. He strives to do everything that could be done to restore relationship with us. He sacrifices himself. He stands by his promises made over thousands of years to flawed people and he fulfills them eventually. That is the nature of God. He is actively involved in this world. That is what that revelation tells us. At the heart of it all, what it tells us is that he loves us. He loves us. God loves us. That's what that revelation reveals to us. You imagine living in Old Testament times. What would you grasp at to say God loves us? Because actually what you see around you is often judgment and hardship and fulfillment of commandments and rules and abiding by all of those. We we can do away with that because we don't have to wait any longer to know what the Messiah is. He loves us. Look, John says it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called, it's not there, all right. That we should be called the children of God and that's what we are. Paul writes about it. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said it. I've come because God loves you. So Jesus, the revelation of Jesus is evidence that he loves us. And for that reason, we can have confidence while we're waiting that he is involved He is active, he is working, but waiting on him is a sure and solid proposition. Um, I was gonna look at a verse in Romans, but we might just skip that, but it's Paul can write about the idea that we endure suffering because of that, and embedded in that verse, if you do just flip to that one, Duncan, you will see there that Paul writes about God doing this at just the right time, at just the right time when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But what it means is we can endure what waiting requires of us because of what's been revealed to us in Christ. When the psalmist said that we should delight ourselves in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness, he didn't know this yet. How much more can we delight in him? How much more can we feed on his faithfulness? Because we know this revelation. We don't have to wait any longer to know what it is. So can I beg us all? Me too, the same. We need to be delighting in him. We need to be setting aside time each day to pray, to reflect on his word, to get devotions into our lives, to to listen to messages, to listen to Christian music, to feed ourselves on the thing that's going to nourish us and cause us to delight in him. Because the problem is, if we don't do that, we are waiting in our own strength. And that makes it really, really hard if we're waiting in our own strength. If you don't delight yourself in God, all you have are your circumstances on which to judge God's character. And that's the wrong way around. If we judge God's character through the lens of our circumstances, we've got it the wrong way around. We need to judge our circumstances through the lens of God's character. Can I just say that one more time if you're not following me? Viewing God's character through the lens of your circumstances is the wrong way around. Because if your circumstances are difficult, what do you think? Well, God doesn't love me. And even if your circumstances are good and you think, well, God is good, that's wrong too. Because when, what happens when they change? God's not good anymore. Don't view God's character through the lens of your circumstances. View the circumstances you're in through the lens of God's character. That's what happens when you delight in the Lord? You see things through the lens of his character. So finishing up, the powder weight on the Lord is the fact that God is love, and he's demonstrated that to us very clearly at just the right time. What happened in my situation? Well, a complicated ending. I just, I intimated before it, it took seven years. A series of events occurred after seven years, and suddenly um, my wife, ex-wife, decided to proceed with a divorce. And in one evening, like it was over a couple of hours, God just released me from it. He said, you don't need to fight this. It's done, it's over. And I know what you're thinking, because I was thinking it for a while. Why? What was I waiting for? Like, there was no marriage ministry. There's no book. There's no worldwide evangelistic crusade. What was I waiting for? Well. Interestingly, even in the human sense, because we like human endings to the story, we'd love me to say that because it would be a human ending. Well, actually, in the human sense of the story, um, the outcome of that um, waiting is actually evident in three people who are sitting in this room right now and one person who's out there who are very, very special to me, and that was the product of that waiting. I won't go into that because, actually, that's not the point. The thing that I most gained from all of this And I'll say this with absolute honesty. I would not swap what happened to me. I've got this letter, and you know, even when I start doubting every now and then, it's like, whoa, feed on his faithfulness. He didn't have to communicate with me, but he did. And he did that all the time. I would not swap what I went through for anything because it taught me about God, and it brought me closer to him He revealed himself to me in the most incredible ways. And do you know what's more? I reckon there would be dozens upon dozens of you sitting here who have been through some difficult times and you've had to wait and you would say the same thing, that you would not swap that challenge for anything because in the midst of it, God revealed himself to you and you came to know the love and the power and the provision of the living God. And nothing is worth waiting for more than the thing God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, wow, when we reflect on your word, trust in you and do good, dwell in the land, feed on your faithfulness. Help us to be people who delight ourselves in you, Lord. Help us to be people who commit our way to you, who are able to be still before you and wait patiently for you. Help us to be people who know that you will direct our paths, that the path we're on is the thing that you're directing us in, that you will give us the desires of our hearts. You will work all things together for good. You will do things at just the right time, that you've done the most wonderful thing at just the right time. And help us to understand, Lord, that the reality of your coming is the evidence, the power we have to wait on you because you're a God of love. And you love us, and you're working on things so powerfully in our lives. And Lord, we also wait for that time when you'll bring all things to an end and we do not have to wait any longer. When you bring all things to a new beginning and we don't have to wait any longer. When you change all things and restore all things. Oh Lord, we wait for your return, but we wait with the confidence of knowing you've already been once, and you promise you'll come again, and you will. And while we wait in each day, Lord, help us to remember that you are a God so worthy, so, so worthy of waiting on. And help us, therefore, to wait on the Lord.
1: Amen.